it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, how you doing? Welcome to a new week and welcome to the Not The Top 20 podcast sponsored by Betfair. Ali Maxwell and George Alec talking all things EFL after a pretty lively weekend in which all three EFL league leaders lost. That was Leicester in the championship, Oxford United in League One and MK Dons in League Two. We have three new league leaders now which we'll tell you about over the course of the next hour and a half or so. Before we start with our weekend analysis, just a note that this weekend coming is international breaks and no championship and whole swathes of League One have been sliced and diced as well by international call-ups. So next week will be heavily League Two and League One focused. There'll be little to no championship chat. What that means is that this week, we may go a little longer on the championship, really dive as deeply as we can before the international break. But League One and League Two will be the headliners absolutely next week. Still plenty of League One and League Two later on, but let's start in the championship. At a sunny stadium of light, Sunderland 5, Southampton nil. George, one of those games in which one team scores in the first minute with their first shot. And from that point, Every single thing goes their way. And if you're on that side of it, it's unbelievable. If you're on the other side of it, it's pretty tough to take. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it definitely was that. But I also think that there was, it wasn't a case of, for example, the Swindon 6 Crawley nil game the other day where you can look at the balance of play and say that it maybe flattered the team that won 6 nil a little bit just in terms of being very clinical and the opposition not, you know, not, not getting their just rewards. Even though, yes, the XG here is like 2 to 0.8. The way that Sunderland went ahead after a minute, so basically started the game 1-0 up, but 2-0 up after five minutes. And yet the fact that Sunderland remained the better team throughout the game, like yes, Saints had a lot of possession, as you'd anticipate, but didn't really create a great deal or cause uh, Patterson in the Sunderland goal too many issues. Like if you look at the, the shot count over the course of the game, um, just 13 shots and two on target for, for Southampton, which con- considering being 2-0 down after five minutes is a pretty paltry effort um, with Adam Armstrong leading the line. Sekumara came in on the right-hand side and Adozi on the left. And and that's, you know, not to blow my own trumpets, but on the betting show, I, I put up Sunderland here as, as the nap, flying <laughs> flying in the face of Don't Bet on the early kickoff. Um, and part of the reason was because Southampton obviously undergoing a a month of, or even a week of massive transition with players leaving the club. And, 
you know, you look at this Saints side now and you consider what it's going to look like in a few weeks, and it'll be very different. You know, players are coming in. Uh, Ross Stewart was signed on, on deadline day, who's going to be injured for the next few weeks still. But this was a, a pretty half-baked Saints side, you have to say. But you can say the same against about Sunderland too, who brought in four new players on deadline day, including Mason Burst on loan from Chelsea and um, a Ukrainian goal scorer that I'm quite excited to see. But again, this was Sunderland playing without a recognised striker, with Joe Bellingham playing kind of as the most advanced midfielder. I wouldn't even go as far as saying as a false nine, just kind of as it was last season. It, it's, it's play a lot of technical players in the final third and kind of see who ends up in transitions of play ending up being furthest forward. I think we need to come up with like new terminology for what Mowbray is doing. The, the, the Sunderland striker. Because Bellingham, Dak, even Neil at times are almost taking it in turns to be yeah. the most niney or the most false niney of mm. the three. But it, they, they do seem to be rotating and it works so well in this game. It does. You know, we talk a lot about um, tactical innovation and, you know, you look at what's happening at Leicester, for example, and seeing like, you know, I think I upset a couple of Leicester fans of what I said last week about not seeing a tactical plan that needs like a process that needs to be ironed out. And you look at how, you know, Tony Mowbray last season was just dealt the cards he was dealt and therefore didn't have a, an available striker to pick pick from. And yet was able to still formulate a, a really slick attacking uh, side without an out-and-out striker, as it were. And he's con- continued it this, this season. I mean, in DAC, you do have a player who... He is like an aggressive goal scoring 10. So, in a way, he's kind of the perfect player to have on this side now. If you don't have that recognized nine who is still going to uh, take up positions in the box that replicate the kind that a, a more advanced player would, would play. And the fact that his goal itself was a close range finish kind of uh, shows that. Equire is, is a player who I think very quickly is, is becoming one of the most exciting talents in the, um, in the EFL. A player who basically has every single. Um, attribute you'd want from a, a you know a box to box midfielder in in the championship someone who scored a couple of long range strikes here but offers a lot more than that in terms of his off the ball work and, and being very very capable on it um they're just you know Sunderland had made a very difficult start to the season hadn't necessarily got their just rewards it kind of felt like this a, a performance and a result like this was coming up against the Samson side who hadn't lost a game yet this season maybe didn't feel like the game that they were going to win 5-0 but it's definitely a sign that last season was no fluke and when they can integrate players they brought in over the summer into this side that it you know it could get even better by the way i was quite proud of my trumpet back there it was uh, it was all right when i said is, is that your own trumpet about when, your trumpet when i said <laughs> this could go on indefinitely when i said everything went their way that wasn't meant to suggest I thought it was a lucky win by any means. It was more things like scoring in the first minute with your first attack from an opposition corner, then your central midfielder scoring two not identical but similar long-range skidders. He probably won't score more than, let's say, two more of those in the whole rest of the season, um, but found the corner and managed to beat Bazunu. I know some Saints fans were questioning whether Bazunu could have, come, could have done a bit better for, for Equa's goals. It's really the fifth goal that I'm talking about when I talk about the cherry on top of basically the perfect day that you can have, I think, as a fan, is Jewison Burnett, your 19-year-old uh, Costa Rican wonder kid who's who's sort of had such a long period of being bedded in, which probably wasn't helped by going to the World Cup, etc., um, but also a period of bedding in that you probably expect an 18, now 19-year-old Costa Rican winger to have coming on. And, and deciding to pull out, rather than going like, you know what, I've got 
I've got a few minutes here. Let's just do the basics right and impress the gaffer. Show him that I'm ready to work hard out of possession and that, you know, I can I can be a direct runner and create from out wide. Or I could throw in three consecutive roulettes. Do that, do that one. Two of them unbelievably good and really tight. The third one, I mean, he had to try it, but he got a bit carried away. The third one was poor. And he was he just about moved the ball onto his mate, got it back, whipped it in. Great ball. Whipped it in onto the head of 16-year-old Chris Rigg. It couldn't be more perfect. A player born in 2007, scored his first goal in the Carabao Cup the other day, now has his first league goal. This is a guy that only was able to sign his scholarship this summer, and it was massive for Sunderland that he was able to, well, that he chose to do so with Manchester United and Newcastle United reporting to be circling. And you can understand why, because... You know, he came on here, he arrived at the back post to score a header. I'm not necessarily sure that's the sort of player he's going to end up being because he seems to be a very modern, uh, highly technical, but also tenacious uh, midfield player, I think, in his age group, Chris Rigg. And it's hard not to be pretty excited because with all of the other players that Sunderland have, and some of them in similar type positions, I don't believe that this kid would be playing unless they really did think he was uber uber special now he is so young that there's really no need to start expecting too much or putting pressure on him but god i hope we see more and more of him because it is so exciting to see tony mowbray talking about chris rigg said he looks like someone who's going to play with that silkiness with the passing on his left foot and he looks to have that tiger in him as well he wants to tackle everyone it's not a bad mix for a midfielder the whole mix of the whole day was pretty perfect for Sunderland 5-0 winners against Southampton but we also have new leaders because as discussed Leicester lost at home to Hull we'll get onto that in a second they've been replaced George by Preston North End who head into the first international break top of the tree beating Stoke 2-0 former manager Alex Neal in the dugout that would have been sweet on a number of levels for PNE Absolutely. A, a really impressive, big result that puts them top of the table. And I think probably the, the one result so far, like if you look at the fixtures that they've had, um, you have to say so far they've been drawn up against sides, either in a kind of a bit of a period of transition, looking at, at Swansea, um, teams who aren't necessarily fancy looking at Wednesday. The 2-1 home win over Sunderland was obviously impressive at the time. But I think going to Stoke... A Stoke team who themselves have started the season very well, with a lot of new players have embedded in pretty well themselves, who were last seen, um, you know, we saw beat Watford a couple of weeks ago, whose two home games so far, they've, they've won both of them. Um, you know, we're unfortunate in my mind to come away from the game against Millwall with nothing. To go to Stoke and to beat them 2-0 um, is, I think, just a bit, of a, a bit of a sign to the rest of the league not to sleep on Preston and not just to think that they're a good start to the season as a flash in the pan. Will Keane got both the goals. Both of them were made by Dwayne Holmes. Um, Holmes going down quite easily for the for the penalty after 51 minutes um, that I don't think was a dive. It's one of those where it's quite soft, but I, I do think there was contact there and I think that Holmes is well within his rights to go down. It always surprises me where when there's minimal contact, people say like it's a dive as if when we see pen- fouls given for penalties the threshold is like you have to have needed to fall over. Like that quite clearly isn't the case. Like 
players instigating contact is one thing, but going down because you feel contact, I think, is acceptable given the way that football works, sadly. Um, the second goal is brilliant work from, from Holmes down the right-hand side, uh, and, he, and, and he squares it to Keane, who's able to, to tap home from close range, although it feels like McNally should maybe be a little bit closer to, to Keane in my mind for that one. They didn't create loads of chances. Um, you know, Stoke certainly with the, with a better side. I, I feel like I say this a lot, but I kind of feel like when you go to Stoke, and you're, you're, you're going to beat them, you're going to have to live on the edge a little bit as a Preston. This is probably the kind of smash and grab um, blueprint that you're going to see. Um, but really impressive nonetheless. Stoke just with one shot on target from their 20. It was probably their worst performance so far of the season. But um, this is all about North End. And Ryan Lowe just, yeah, ticking along very nicely and, and making as good a start to the season as anyone could have hoped for. The worry is, as you often talk about, is that the expectations around the club because of their own strong start will be raised to a point that could then provide some tetchiness, some awkwardness. If, for example, they have a run of five games where they lose three or four and they only win one or maybe they don't win any. And that's when it can be almost making a rod for your own back having had a start like this. I mean, it's a classic anatomy of a, of a, of a first place team after five games, George, because they have the best defence in the division per the underlying numbers. They're, they're out of possession shape and defending their box has been superb. And they have restricted almost every opposition to, if not very few shots, very few quality shots, very few big chances. When there have been big chances, Freddie Woodman in goal has done his job. And that's a, a fantastic way to start the season, of course. And then on the other end, of course, finishing your chances when they come. They're scoring with 16% of their shots, which is the sort of conversion rate that normally comes down a fair bit over the course of the season. Normally, in in at the end of a campaign, the best conversion rates that a team will have might be sort of 12 13%. So that's not crazy, but they're only conceding 4% of their shots. Now, that is pretty crazy. And that's the sort of thing, you know, both of those will will move towards each other most likely over time, but it's a, it's a fabulous way to start the season. Only three teams have taken fewer shots than Preston and only two have had fewer shots on target. So they're creating good chances, but crucially, they're, they're taking them at a very high rate. Uh, and, and that gives you a lot of points when you're also keeping the opposition down to, to nils and ones. So a very impressive start. It, it'd be interesting to see where the ceiling is for Preston. You know, I say it's a classic anatomy of being top after five games. It's not the classic anatomy of a team that will win automatic promotion. And any talk of that is obviously very premature. But um, it's 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 a team that are performing very impressively. A manager who's ridden out some quite tough times and I think deserves to enjoy the fact that his team have started so well. Because if they had had the reverse star... Um, if the margins had gone against them, if their finishing had been poor, let's say, um, people would have been pretty quick, I think, to start calling for his head. So kudos to Ryan Lowe uh, and to all of the new players who have settled in very well. Dwayne Holmes, you mentioned. Will Keane, is, of course, is thriving. Uh, Frokier Jensen's had a few good performances as well, although he came off here for Holmes. Uh, and Brad Potts was, was excellent here in North End's win. They are top of the league for at least... 10 get 10 days or so until uh, Leicester play Saints uh, on the Friday night after the international break. Uh, Leicester nil, Hull won, George. The winner scored by Liam Delap, heavily deflected. Saw quite a few quite jammy deflected goals across the leagues this weekend, but they all count. Uh, most notable for me was an interesting tactical decision from Liam Rossini, which clearly paid off here in that uh, for the most part this season, 
off the right-hand side in an attacking sense has been Adama Traore and Liam Delap's been playing through the middle. But here, a very clear that Rossini had instructed Liam Delap to target the space out wide on the outside of Callum Doyle um, and kind of stretch his legs because he's looked really good physically this season, running in behind, good movement, peeling wide. He's caused a lot of problems for championship defences so far. Clearly it worked. He was found right out on the right side where he had some space by a Jean-Michel Serri switch. Uh, and that was when he carried the ball, cut inside, and his, his shot was deflected in. Adama uh, Traore was kind of playing more centrally. Um, random fact, Adama Traore, Hulls Adama Traore, mm. won the golden ball at the Under-20 World Cup in 2015. Same gong that Cesare Casadei has just won. Nice. Leicester's lonely. So um, quite fun. And Leicester, the last 100% record in the EFL, is now gone. They've lost 1-0 at home to Hull. A lot of possession, quite a lot of shots. Only one on target of their, I think, 21 shots. One off the post. The rest all missed or blocked. Yeah, it's interesting because the... Even though this was a very different result to what we've come to expect from Leicester this season, where most Leicester games have followed the same pattern of Leicester going ahead, being pegged back or staying ahead and then scoring late on. Um, We've seen that they've been an incredibly good side when level, basically. But this was the first time we've seen them since opening day go behind and they obviously came back against Coventry to win that game 2-1. At home against Hull, and yes, it was a deflected effort. And I think you could argue that Leicester were unfortunate to go behind. Um, and yes, they had 21 shots in the game. But yet again, this was another example for me of Leicester, despite possessing just an absolute embarrassment of riches in terms of actual individual talent in their side, um, where you're looking at, you know, even on the week uh, on the weekend just gone, you've got Dewsbury Hall, who we know is, is very good for the level. Iheanacho starting up front, Winks in central midfield. Like there is, there are players here who've, for good reason, played the majority of their football um, at the top level. And then Farley off the bench, Mavadidi off the bench, Kassadai, who you just mentioned there. Um, it, it, it feels like just with a an average manager with no tactical processes, this should be the kind of side who just have the individual quality to... I mean, they've obviously had the individual quality to win games, but just to impose themselves far better and create more consistent, better goal-scoring opportunities within matches. And yet again, this was another case where it wasn't. You know, normally, when you see teams, especially teams who are overwhelming favourites to win a game at home, go behind early, even when they lose 1-0, there's just an onslaught of pressure. Whereas here, there were some fair chances missed. Um, they hit the woodwork um, from the right-hand side. Vardy uh, also had a header. They went very close, but it wasn't constant. I mean, it was constant pressure without constant threat is the way that I would look at this. Um, I think this result has been coming all season for Leicester, where you just cannot get by week in, week out by being marginally the better side and kind of creeping over the line late on. And I really think they have to massively improve or we're going to see them drop way more points. I, I, I don't see why right now they are the most likely team to win this division beyond the fact that they won a few games early on to, to, to a massive fair points tally. They're not the only ones to have done that. So, um, but massive credit to Hull and for, for Liam Rossini. You know, they man, you know, they deserve credit themselves for managing to prevent Le- Leicester from creating loads of chances. They didn't offer a great deal going forward after the goal, but why Why would they? Um, and they've had a, a, a brilliant start to the season after it, it felt like a, 
a slow summer where towards the end of the summer suddenly Ashen Ilashali maybe looked around the championship and thought you know what actually maybe this is quite a good ch- time to reinvest they brought in Scott Twine they brought in Philogene as well for a decent fee so just a bit of a attacking style quality to go alongside what's already a, a fair defensive unit and um, yeah they're like Preston a team who, who couldn't really have asked for a better start what about Ipswich George they beat Cardiff 3-2 a lot to like about coming back from 2-0 down to win 3-2. A lot not to like about the way that Cardiff were able to slice them open in order to go 2-0 up. Having said that, Cardiff also went 2-0 up at Ellen Road and then failed to win that game. So, you know, two sides to every story. How exactly do you parse Ipswich 3, Cardiff 2, Ipswich racking up the points early this season, um, certainly defensively looking uh, quite wobbly, I think it's fair to say, in quite a few of their games so far? The Errol Bolution will not be televised is the... Uh... <laughs> Errol Volution sounds like a really unpleasant medical procedure. But it's also one of the best things I've ever come up with. So, <laughs> yeah, this is the second time that it's felt like it was going to get started. Um, Errol Volution. Playing against one of the title favourites, going 2-0 up and then squandering that lead. Against Leeds, it was a late Somerville goal that made it 2-all. Against Ipswich Town, it was a player in Freddie Ladapo who was heavily linked to with a move to various League One sides in the last couple of days of the window, especially after Dane Scarlett came in on loan from Tottenham, which one would have thought would, would limit Ladapo's game time, especially after Caden Jackson was picked ahead of him against against Leeds in the, in the starting lineup. But he came on here and he scored two goals um, and two really important goals that I think do somewhat mask a disappointing display from, from, from town. There's definitely something in the fact that Ipswich had made Portman Road into a, a fortress and Leeds stormed the fortress and bouncing back from that with the air of invincibility gone and conceding two goals and being 2-0 down, it is mightily impressive, I would say, that Ipswich were able to steady the ship and come back and not just draw the game, but to win it. Um, there was definitely an element of fortune with both of Ladapo's goals, I would say. A very, very poor corner deflected into his path for the first and the ball basically hit him on the line for the second. Full in the face. In the face. But, you know, this was a, I think in a, just a psychological um, standpoint, uh, I think if they'd lost this game at home, it really would have meant that questions would have been asked internally about uh, maybe we're not quite as good as we thought we were. Um, but to come back and, and get that belief going again to to galvanise the fans was massive. I, I feel a bit for Cardiff. You know, they, they seem to be a side who are, you know, as I say, putting in okay performances in games but not really getting any reward for it. But they certainly have to be a little bit less naive in terms of defending leads. Um, Aaron Ramsey's made a good start to his um, return to Cardiff, which is good to see. Uh, and I think it's a matter of time before they, you know, they, they got the big winning at Sheffield Wednesday last weekend. They don't look to me at the moment like there's too much to worry about with Cardiff. But they did seem to me to be one of those teams at the beginning of the season where neutral onlookers like me and you were worried about them in terms of their survival stakes. Cardiff fans buoyant with positivity after the appointment of, of Errol Bulu and the, the, the signings of the likes of Ramsey and Conan Grant were wondering how far they could go. I think the reality is probably somewhere between the two. You know, I see them being a, a bottom half side that shouldn't be too troubled by relegation, but similarly have don't have the requisite quality to mount any more of a challenge than that. There was a pass from Perry and G into, I think, Ramsey, who then shifted out wide to Carlin Grant in space on the left, who then carried it into the left side of the box and cut it back for Ramsey. There's something about me this season. I'm just really into good counter-attacks and good transition attacks. I'm, I don't know, maybe 
maybe it's the next stage of my my personal footballing development but that is just a real bit of me right now George, two teams got their first win of the season. One of them was Huddersfield. They beat West Brom 2-1. The other was Rotherham, who beat Norwich 2-1. Um, you were a believer, a Huddersfield believer. Um, they hadn't won in four, but you've been... Quietly confident that they're not that bad. There you go. Yeah, having been quite loudly confident they were rubbish last season. Yeah, I think all of Huddersfield's games this season have kind of followed the same pattern, where they're fairly end-to-end. Huddersfield never a blunt attacking force, but never stopping opposition from creating chances. This was kind of exactly that. Um, they went ahead from a corner, um, kind of midway through the first half before John Swift got a second and two just after half time in what was a fairly end to end first half. Um, and then Jack Radoni, who um, has been a bit of an unsung hero, I think, for Huddersfield over the last year or year or so. Um, a really, really good signing from AFC Wimbledon, who's played a variety of positions has been a shining light in Huddersfield's poorer times and then at the back end of the last season when Warnock came in at the start of this season has been one of their standout players delighted for him that he got uh, the winner here um, it was, took him a while you know it's one of those classic cases where he was he, he had a very how long was there was a run of games where I think we'd only hadn't been on the winning side for like a year yeah um, well, second half of 21-22 with Wimbledon yeah where they won one maybe in the last four months of the season and then the first half of Huddersfield season basically until Warnock took over in Feb yeah and you started seeing some social accounts being like Jack Rodoni hasn't played in the winning team for 47 games and you're like it's unfair because it's not a reflection on his positive impact in terms of what he's doing so um, yeah delighted for Rudy to get the to get the goal to win the game very late on interesting um, quotes from Neil Warnock before this game around transfers doesn't seem particularly happy with um, I guess the, the lack of he was referencing unnamed players around the football pyramid who'd been doing great things that he'd obviously been targeting. Um, so TBC, what happens with that one? Um, but I, yeah, I, I, in a similar way to Cardiff, right now with Huddersfield performing as they are, I don't see too much to be concerned about. I, I don't think Baggies are, are playing particularly well, if I'm honest. Um, there's just... A, it, it, Ten shots at home to Huddersfield. But it, it was the same last concerning. season. It, it's, it's the way that they they play that I find really strange. Like they are so passive out of possession and I just can't really think of many successful teams across the EFL, not just in the championship, who are just so unwilling to press and engage teams. Like it feels like even at League Two level where it's not always the most expansive teams who are always successful, even then you take the likes of Carlisle and Stevenage who still, even though they didn't retain the ball that much, would always press heavily and, and you know it was the energy and the robustness out of possession that was so important with even Corbrand's Huddersfield even though they were happy to sit in their defensive shape it was never like it is at Baggies where they just are obviously set up not to um, engage and they look to play on the counter as much as possible and I, I don't see it being a, a viable means to be a, a top end championship side Rotherham 2 Norwich 1 big big win for the Millers. Last week, I think we spoke about how they were still winless, how there'd be people looking at that and thinking, oh, maybe maybe it's just not their year. Uh, and uh, again, like maybe to a lesser extent to you with Huddersfield, but I still felt that there were uh, performances that were somewhat better than the results, but also just quite a lot of things not quite going their way. Um, and here, I think they got the, the other side of the coin in beating a Norwich side and inflicting their first defeat of the season. Uh, they had... One of my favourite goals of the weekend from Dexter Lembekisa, mm. who 
is just... I mean, is there anything more exciting than being told you can't get into the box for a set piece, waiting 25 yards out, and then what you're hoping happens, genuinely happens, where, like, the long throw comes in, and it's just knocked. I think it was his own teammate sort of got a bit of head on it, and it just starts bouncing slowly towards you. There's no one closing you down, really. You just have to connect as well as you can, and it flies into the top corner. That is the most niche is there anything more exciting than i've ever heard in my whole life <laughs> well you're probably you're quite I was tall, say, so you're probably in the box I was for the say corners ordering a pizza i'm either taking the corners <laughs> or at best like standing on the keeper <laughs> yeah. or i'm outside the box waiting for this i'm taking the corner lembekisa's first uh, lembekisa's first senior goal is on loan from wolves an absolute rocket into the top corner and the second goal was nice as well it was a a deep wide cross from Cafu, who's showing way more like technical quality than I remember him yeah, doing yeah. at Nottingham Forest. Um, whipping it in with speed. Hugel had already made a clever run to get that a uh, few inches in front of his defender and then a quality Hugel header into the far corner. Um, they, they've, they've held on. Norwich did pull one back through Fasnacht, but, um, but Rotherham win this. And I think it's big for them. I think great for confidence. I think great for realising, yes, we can beat teams, particularly at home, and we've got you know, threats like Cafu's right foot, like Hugill's movement and, and aerial ability. Having said that, I wouldn't be concerned about this from a Norwich point of view. Um, you know, last week we wrote our monthly awards on the uh, on NTT20.com for August and it was a Norwich clean sweep. Uh, Wagner, Sara and John Rowe, manager, player and young player of the month. Despite the fact they weren't even top of the table after that month, that was just how we saw it in terms of the individual performances of those, well, of those individuals. So then them losing away at Norwich was a bit like, oh, classic, you know, manager of the month curse type stuff. I don't even think this game was that different to the games that they've played so far, the ones that they've been on the right side of. Just in this instance, they concede an absolute screamer, a really good cross, a great bit of movement. You know, Wagner's very much looking internally and saying it was our, it was our issues, it was our fault here. But sometimes you just have to hold your hands up, I think, and say, yeah, the opposition have done something really good there there wasn't that much we could do so uh, they certainly had their chances and I think you know and if that game stays nil-nil for a bit longer it's probably a slightly different result so uh, big win for Rotherham big win for QPR George and very much the opposite of that for their hosts Middlesbrough uh, 2-0 in the end uh, this was a very very interesting game should we talk about QPR first is something happening yeah as I know you tell me is something happening is something happening I think it might be I was, you know, it's been three games we've seen now of QPR since. Well, no, okay, let's go back. Let's just look at QPR season thus far. Let's okay? do that. They were 4 0 down at half time against Watford on opening day, and things looked very, very bad. And then they kind of got through the second half with no further damage done. They then went to Cardiff and put in a, a better performance, but still like a, a bit of a smash and grab win at Cardiff. And that result just seems to have triggered a sense of belief in what Gareth Ainsworth is trying to do where it felt to me like they're 100% at the back end of last season there was not a buy-in from the majority of QPR players about Gareth Ainsworth about his methods about the man we all saw that ridiculous video of, of the hacker and you could basically see the players looking at each other and thinking what on earth is going on here but I think something happened in that second game against Cardiff where they're just getting the three points under the belt, getting Sinclair Armstrong looking like an absolute world-beater up front. And I think the fans and the players 
in that game and thought, okay, well, let's give this a bit of a bit of a chance. And even though they lost their next two games, I was at the I was at Loftus Road for the Ipswich game, and QPR were the better side in the first half, and I don't think deserved to come away with, with nothing. They then went to that to Southampton, where they were also again without question the better team and came away with nothing. So this result, even though it would look like a massive surprise to ignoring Middlesbrough's form at the beginning of the season to most. I think have been coming. I think QPR have put in three displays against three teams who were in the top six favourites to win promotion out of this league at the beginning of the season and have definitely been the better side in two of them and arguably, well, against Ipswich, it was much of a muchness. So bad thing is they've played four away games out of five as yeah. well so far. And in that Ipswich game, they looked decent at home and generally teams pick up more points at home than they do away from home. So again, they're in credit in that sense in, in terms of the fixture list. They just seem to be getting a lot from their front players. They don't attack a lot, if that makes sense. But when they do, they're getting a lot out of it. The blend of Armstrong, uh, uh, Smith and Ilias Chair, um, once again, doing quite a lot with not very much. Of course, it was an absolute worldie from the fairly maligned Andre Dazelle, who everyone has always said from the first time I ever heard about him, probably when he was around 15, 16 at Ipswich, what a left foot he's got. Mm. Um, you know, he can open a can of worms. A t- no, he can open a tin of beans. Can he go I think you just opened a can of worms there. <laughs> can of worms is something very different. But his left foot probably could do that if push came to shove. And, I mean, the strike into the top corner, kissing the post on its way in, is just... Oh, it's about as good as it gets for me, I'm not going to lie. Um, but maybe Dozel is an example of something that we have to talk about with Ainsworth, is that he talks more about mentality, belief, characters, hard work you know, group spirit than probably any other manager, right? It it feels like it's all he talks about, really. Um, He probably talks less about other parts of the game, things that are maybe technical or tactical, stuff that we're interested in hearing about from a lot of managers than probably any other managers. And there are times, particularly when things aren't going well, where that sort of rhetoric can be quite frustrating because you think, mate, it's not just about characters. Otherwise, you could you could find any people off the street to play and they'd play well in a team if they were strong characters. There's got to be more to it than that. Now you see this team and how they're performing compared to last season's QPR team. And it's hard not to be pretty taken in by it. And you can see why players would be if they've got a certain mindset. And like to, to kind of peel back the curtain a little bit, you and I interviewed Gareth Ainsworth before the season started and kind of off the record... A little bit, like I'm not going to go too far into it, but he, you know, he mentioned to us he, that he felt it was very important that he was able to bring in his own senior players just to, you know, give him kind of what he needed in terms of of uh, what senior pros need to do in a Gareth Ainsworth side. And yeah, I kind of, I think probably scoffed at it a little bit. You know, in my mind, like bringing in players to be cute isn't necessarily the most important thing when you're building a football team. Um, I didn't openly scoff I'm just scoffing behind his back and I'm admitting to it now but it's more but now you look at the side that he put out at Borough on Saturday and you've got Steve Cook playing in the heart of the of the back th- of the back five basically Morgan Fox playing on his left hand side Jack Colback getting a second goal playing in front of the the back five like those are three players who have well I mean certainly in in the case of Colback and and Cook have absolute load of Premier League appearances Morgan Fox a player who's played a decade of, of championship football for the most part and their, their like sheer presence within the squads 
is in itself like a and as Begovic we should mention as well in goal is like a an endorsement of what Ainsworth is trying to do. So we think back to last season where you know it felt like Ainsworth was a bit of a joke figure at the club. That presumably now just would not fly at all because you've got four senior pros who've been brought in by Ainsworth, who I'm sure would ensure that like the level of respect and the level of buy-in within the club has to be elevated. You then look at players like Paul Smith, who's been taken out of League Two and given a chance in the Championship by Ainsworth. Sinclair Armstrong, who's clearly had you know life breathed into him by Ainsworth, just constant building up and constant smoke blown up him in order to get him confident and playing the way that he is. Like it's clear to see here then when you know say Ilias Chair, Dazel, like these are the players who were there last season who maybe weren't on board. Just kind of have to buy in now because the you know the whole formation of the squad has changed. Like the, the squad is still so thin. And when you look at who came off the bench, apart from Willick and, and, and uh, Clark Salter, you know it's academy players we don't know a great deal about. Um Lakeche, Duke McKenna, Coley. Um but there's certainly, you know, we know that when things are going right or when things are going right at Wickham, he was able to create a team that were way, way more than the sum of their parts. And it does feel like now things are starting to grind into gear for QPR. To sum up, Kamate, Kamate, <laughs> Gora, Gora. On the flip side, can we talk about Middlesbrough? Because they lost again at the bottom of the table. Worst ever start to a season. What, in the history of football? In Borough's football. In Borough's, in, in Borough's history. Yeah. They are almost at the point where Carrick is in the same situation as the one that he walked into mm-hmm. when Chris Wilder left. Worse, I'd say. So they had two wins in 11. Wilder got 11 games. They were 22nd at that time. Akpom wasn't Akpoming. Uh, Cameron Archer wasn't there. Hayden Hackney wasn't playing. And Carrick did exactly the job that was necessary with some help from the recruitment team with some help you have to say from Leo Perkovic who was the one that gave Hackney the the initial appearances in that um caretaker spell but I'm 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 interested to know what you think about this because like Wilder's Borough the underlying numbers suggest they are conceding more goals than the average team would be in their position and they are not scoring as many goals as they should be given the quality of the chances that are being created. Now, they are going behind in games with regularity, and that has a big impact because a team like Borough are always likely to chase games with a lot of possession, with a lot of shots. They seem to be lacking that like composure, both in front of goal, squandering good chances when they're being created, and certainly at the back, where they look terrified of just the simple fact of being attacked seems terrifying to them and it is just eerily similar to this time last season and I'm interested to know what you think about it from a Carrick situation there are predictably people calling in BBC T's calling for his head where do you stand on on Borough and Carrick at the moment I think they are much better than their position in the table I think if they just don't panic and keep doing what they're doing they will improve but I also think they are quite a long way off um, the team they were last season, basically in every single facet. You know, I think the players are worse. I don't think the performances are as good. I think they rode the crest of a wave last season. And, you know, it was at times uh, a not particularly 
solid way to build a, se- a successful football team where you were accepting that you were going to concede a lot of chances rather than trying to limit the opposition to, um, you know, and, and you were fairly reliant on your front players who were very clinical, maintaining that kind of form. The players they've got right now are not showing the same level of efficiency in front of goal. You know, Emmanuel Latelath has a questionable goal-scoring record. Like last season at St. Gallen, he scored 14 and 31. Like I'm, I'm not going to judge a player purely based on their goal record, but he's also had periods at teams in Serie C in Italy, like two seasons ago, he scored two in 19 for Imolese. Like It does feel like this could be a bit of a step up in terms of quality for him. And he's their starting striker. Morgan Rogers is a player that we both really like, but again, he's never been prolific so far in his career. There's just been a, a, a big drop-off in quality in terms of... Um, the players at his disposal and you know I I would but then, even, I, but then does a, a squad with less quality necessitate a manager with a different way of managing with a different way of playing no I, I don't because think because so. the openness at the back is, is difficult to you know it is like watching the same car crash yeah, yeah. over and over again and yeah. that's what I think is just so hard to take but the, but and, then, it's, and, it, and it was like this for the last chunk of the season as well you know if you you can stretch the run back to yeah. April, basically the last like five to nine although, games although, of last ironically, season. Ironically, I would say they were they were kind of better defensively during that bad spell at the back end of last season, which it felt like a a, a very deliberate shift where Carrick tried to tighten them up. Um, they're now loose at the back and, and not scoring goals going forward. Like, uh, Michael Carrick is in. You know, he's been. He hasn't yet been a football manager for a year, um, and I think he is entitled to learn on the job I think he is also entitled to probably learn a lot more from the last five games than he learned in the back end of last season when everything was going right um, whether Borough want to be the beneficiaries of, of that learning and if you accept that he must have something about him in order to instigate what happened last season then you know I, I don't think this squad of Borough players necessitates a playoff push personally I think there, there might be some young players brought in who will develop into top championship players, but I think it would be incredibly harsh to judge Carrick based on last season's performance and use that as a barometer from which to assess his performance. Um, so I would personally say hang tight, things will improve, but I totally get your point that there hasn't been much evidence so far to suggest that Michael Carrick can set up a team to to defend well and win games, and, and that at the moment is costing them a lot of points. Well, guess what? That point was mainly just to provide a bit of devil's advocating. I also think the worst thing well to done. do well would be to act on emotion and sack yeah. Carrick at this point. I really, really do. It is such a long season, and they have literally last season as evidence. 22nd after 11 games, they made the playoffs. It doesn't have to be a change of manager to provoke that. It does not have to be. It often is because managers do get sacked and things do turn around. But that doesn't mean it has to be that. And I think the worst thing to do would be to act on emotion here. Um, I'd be surprised if, let's say, they gave Carrick the same amount of games as Wilder last season. I'd be surprised if we're sitting here after 11 games and Borough are still in the relegation zone. Um, we're not even halfway there yet. Swansea won Bristol City too. Really exciting to watch Bristol City uh, in their last two games. They've been absolutely electric away at Hull in a one-all draw. Uh, and then here coming from behind to beat Swansea 2-1 and, and absolutely deservedly so. They got done um, with a great through ball from Charlie Patino. Uh, Cullen speeding in behind Cal Naismith, who I don't think has ever been uh, highly comfortable being the sort of the last man back, shall we say, as a centre-back. That's not really his game. Um, and Cullen finishing well. But Bristol City... Coming flying back, and there's there's been a lot to like about their last two performances. Uh, Mark Sykes 
has probably been the star or certainly was here with a um, with a great goal and then a, a fantastic assist, great determination and speed and energy uh, and then a fantastic finish as well. When Sykes is at his best because of the sort of player he is in terms of work rate, stamina, uh, speed, agility, um, when his final ball or his final shot is also um, on point, he is a fantastic player. I think you can say the same about Jason Knight who is settled in very nicely to life at Bristol City, the two-time EFL 21 under 21 um, selector, selectee, um, has been brilliant in an attacking number eight role with Matty James and and, uh, King uh, or Williams sitting behind. Uh, And Sam Bell just finishes really well. Um, That was a really underrated finish, I think, from Bell. Uh, Ball across from the right-hand side, Bell on his left foot, just side-footing it calmly with a good connection into the far side netting first time. I get a bit confused at this stage of the season when a team like Bristol City have been poor at home, drawing against Birmingham, um, drawing against Preston, not creating a huge amount. But their away games have been brilliant. You know, they beat Millwall in, you know, with a l- late winner, but then performances against Hull and Swansea have been brilliant away from home. So i kind of going to wait to see how things shake down a little bit and settle over the next few weeks. What about Swansea under Mike Duff? Because it's been a tough start to the season for them. They're still looking for their first win. The way that they've kind of lost games or drawn games has flipped as the season's gone on. Um, they started by often going behind in games and coming back. You know, we saw them come back from 1-0 down against Birmingham on opening day to draw 1-0. 3-0 down against Baggies, came back to lose the game 3-2. 1-0 down against Coventry, drew the game one all. But then in their last two games, we've seen a, a real soft centre when, when it comes to getting ahead, uh, having squandered a 1-0 lead against Preston to lose 2-1 here at home against Bristol City to be one nil up as they were um, and to concede twice both goals. Um, the architect of both goals was Mark Sykes. But following the same pattern where they were one nil up at half-time against Preston to concede twice in the second half and did the same against Bristol City, it's a, yeah, it's, it's a big worry. And for Mike Duff, he's got to sort this out pretty quickly um, because... Even though I think Swansea fans would appreciate that a you know a promotion tilt this season was maybe unlikely, Swansea should not and have no intention to be involved in a relegation scrap. And right now, in terms of pure results and possibly even the performances, it's hard to to see any other eventuality for Swansea. Now, obviously, they can improve, and I have a lot of faith that Mike Duff, in time, will improve Swansea necessarily to, to get them out of that but right now it's a case of I guess in a, in a kind of similar way to Borough like you've just got to hold your nerve and remember that you've appointed someone for a reason that you've lost a manager who you know demanded some pretty specific things from players and you've hired somebody else who maybe has a different outlook to things and reflect on why you appointed him rather than reacting just to an inability to hold on to leads and an inability to win games um, because in time it should come good. They've also lost Joel Peru, which is you know a difficult thing for any manager to have to deal with. Um, so and, and has to you know you have to take that into account when you're when you're analysing a, a, a team's performance. So um, yeah, difficult at the moment for Swansea to make a you know a, a real case for why they're going to improve. Um, but Bristol City, on the other hand, have, have shown some serious spirit themselves to come back from losing positions and settle some nerves after what was a really optimistic summer, a difficult start. Um, Sykes, again, showing his quality at the level with the goal and the assist. Plymouth 3, Blackburn 0. 
felt beforehand like it was going to be a great mix of attacking styles and it was uh, there were 43 shots in the game um, I, I actually need to check if that's uh, the most in the championship so far this season um, it was pretty evenly shared as well despite the 3-0 scoreline both teams um, slicing each other open basically at will and, and it was just execution that was um, the, the, the main factor here Argyle going forward are just absolute quality and so fun to watch uh, it's the individual quality that Barley Mumba and Morgan Whitaker have but also the fact that Schumacher has built an attack where that individuality is is kind of um, is empowered and also they don't just play 1v1 all the time super selfish they also buy into the kind of team attacking mindset um, he's helped that he's got a lot of unselfish players on the pitch as well good passes such as Randall in midfield Finn Azaz, who's just a, a quality operator all round and Ryan Hardy up front is benefiting uh, to the tune of four goals so far in the first five games sliding in to, to um, slot home the second goal they're just great to watch Argyle now have they got the worst XG against in the division? Yes. Sure. But like... Doesn't right, matter. Let's not get too caught yes. up in stuff such as stopping your opposition from creating at least two massive chances every game. Let's not get caught up about that because I think there might be something in the sea air down at home park. It's like playing Bolivia away in La Paz where <laughs> you're at that altitude and teams just never win in La Paz. It does something... Incredible to- pronunciation of La Paz. La Paz. Yeah, just, just you no. Know, it's just more just the like um, intonation on la, yeah, la paz. Um, it just does something to, to teams mentally, and it did so for Rovers here because um, Viral's Ryan Hedges did another little flick over a defender and then just slotted it wide. Uh, Travis had a confusing moment when he was was well placed. Smodix as well was in a great place to tap in, and someone fizzed the ball at his, at his sort of thigh, which wasn't particularly helpful. Uh, basically, what I'm saying is. At some point, a team's going to get it right against Argyle. They're going to finish their chances and they might have a four or five conceded in one game in them soon. But while that's happening, they're also going to have a great time attacking you. And for me, the most important thing for Argyle is mentality where will they be able to keep up this attacking verve if and when the goals against column takes a bit of a hit, which it almost certainly will at some point. Will they be able to go, that's fine, we'll turn it into a straight shootout and we still back ourselves to outscore you? Or will they lose a bit of their um, their confidence? That's what's uh, kind of important here. Cov 3, Watford 3, it's quite lively. It's a draw, mate. Why are we talking about that? Yeah, it was lively. It was lively. Just entertaining for the neutral. Kov Kov missing a penalty early on. A lot of bad defending. A lot of bad defending. (laughs) Wesley Hoot learning that you should always look where you're passing. That's That's my my advice. Um, But yeah, I I think two teams. I'm fairly negative about a lot of the teams at the top of the championship. Um, In Coventry and Watford, I think there are two teams there to keep an eye on. I would say maybe they are going under the radar and might be quite good. Couldn't agree more. Uh, we there's, saw your, there's your analysis. Two goals from Watford's new number nine, Mileta Rajevic. Uh, we saw shot volumes, Matty Martins scoring a nice goal, having threatened to do so last weekend. Milan van Evik scoring a 30-yard free kick for Coventry as well. It was a great day for uh, getting to know uh, exciting new signings. Birmingham 1, Millwall 1 was a very 1-1 kind of game. 
Chase Dansfield scoring again. Brilliant touch, brilliant finish again. Um, and uh, that cancelled out Nisbet's free kick. Scott Hogan missing a pen. Birmingham have to sort out their penalty situation, which has been a bit of a shambles in the last few years. Uh, and Leeds nil, Sheffield Wednesday nil. was a match that happened at Ellen Road. Wednesday's first point of the season, um, a, a positive performance in the main. Uh, they did have uh, their goalkeeper to thank for some pretty smart saves and some poor finishing from Leeds when they got into good positions. But uh, Ilan Melier equally had to make a, a very sharp save from Josh Windass and, and Patterson had a good chance as well. So nil-nil in the Yorkshire Derby. Nil-nil. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. In League One, Oxford aren't top of League One anymore, mate. What? Cry more. Mate, I didn't check the result. Oxford in the mud. Exeter are, though. What do you mean Oxford in the mud? <laughs> they beat Burton 1-0. They're right up there, son. Is that So that's us done on the Oxford part. Perfect. No, we'll uh, come to that. Oh. We'll come to that. Exeter's top of the league. And, um, yeah, it was a... a fine, I mean, it's, it's so difficult, this, because I want to be eminently um, enthusiastic over Exeter starts the season because um, I didn't see it coming. I'm not sure many people did. I didn't. Uh, they've won four of their six games so far. They won three on the bounce. They've barely conceded. I think they've conceded two goals all season. Um, Burton have been surprisingly very, very poor under Dino Mamre and I'm not entirely sure what is going on there. So I guess this result comes with that caveat. Uh, Ryan Trevitt with a goal. And it was a decent performance from, from Exeter as well. Like they've, um, you know, they have lost many key players over the course of the last 12 months or so. Sam Nombe moving on later on in the window doesn't help their cause uh, at all. So for them to be top of the league is an, an immense effort. Um, I, I personally think, and I hope that... Um, Caldwell isn't judged off the back of this start because I, I still don't think they necessarily have the tools to kind of maintain a, a proper promotion challenge. But at the same time, um, you can't really argue necessarily. I mean, again, the teams they played this season at this stage, um, you'd think they probably have one of the easier um, fixture lists so far. You know, they've beaten um, Reading, who we know are not in a good position. Burton, who have started the season poorly, Carlisle, who came up as playoff winners, and Wickham, who, despite going through a good run of form at the moment, as we get on to, I'm not entirely sure about. Like the one, the one when they've come up against Blackpool and, and Pompey, had taken one point from those two games and have failed to score. And I think that might be the way that their season goes, Exeter, which will be easily enough to insert them um, in at least mid-table. Um, but, you know, it's a 10 out of 10 start to the campaign and especially given what's going on off the field. But I am I guess what I'm saying is let's not get too 
upset or frustrated if this doesn't continue. Having said that, it feels like you're cop- having said that, we're basically copy and pasting our chat about Preston from the championship going top of the league. It's the same, they're the same team, I thought. <laughs> I thought we were just re recording that part. Um, their next two games I've just seen live as, as we record uh, Leighton Orient and Cheltenham at home. Yeah, so it doesn't have to end yet. Well, there, there is a chunk of teams in League One and League Two that have played four of six away or four of six at home, and mm. I do think that is significant at this stage of the season and I was going to make sure that we we did mention that Exeter have played four of six away from home and still top of League One uh, which is pretty impressive um, but there is a, a big touch of the Prestons about it because the, the way that they are picking up these points is similar they have a fantastic uh, defensive record they are conceding very very few chances Portsmouth had a fair few in that 1-0 win at Fratton Park but apart from that they've done an incredible job keeping their opposition at bay and that speaks very well to Caldwell and his coaching team because you know as individuals a back four of uh, Will Ameson, Alex Hartridge, Sweeney and Zach Jules are not on paper people that people consider to be like the strongest League One defenders individually and yet as a unit it's working really well. Uh, Sinisalo in in goal is making big saves, did so in in this game to get them the win. Out of possession things are just working and that gives you a great platform to pick up points um, without needing to be that good going forward and it's true that as you suggest when they play better teams Blackpool and, and Portsmouth they haven't created a huge amount, they haven't looked that dangerous but they've been good enough against teams such as Burton to create and score. Um, certainly Mitchell's looking very bright down the left side and, and Ryan Trevitt gets a mention once again, as he seems to every Monday uh, on loan from Brentford, centre midfielder with pure technical quality in that right foot, um, firing home the winner from 20 yards. Big game on paper was Bolton Derby. It finished 2-1 to Bolton. And it f- feels like basically all of the talking points were refy. So why don't you tell me about Bolton Derby? Yes, Refi. I don't have an issue with basically any of it. It, it feels pretty obvious that the, the the save is outside the box. Um, and I understand that the ref doesn't give it immediately, but that I don't think has any bearing whether or not it was the right decision. Um, with the Charles one, again, I, was there some consternation about whether or not it was inside the box? Um, yeah, possibly. And then just the, nothing to do with the ref, but I think adding to the feeling of... of uh, Misfortune was the winning goal, which was a cross from Davis sure. Cogley that looped off Fauna's knee over the keeper into dropping into the far corner. It kind of feels to me like Derby fans can't complain too much given the way the game went as well, with, with Bolton being quite comfortably the better side. I know that Derby fans are in agreement that their performances are generally not good enough. And yeah, they beat Posh 4-2 away from home um, last weekend, but it felt like a proper paper over the cracks kind of game where... For, for basically 10 minutes they were well they had basically had four shots and all four went in but apart from that either side of the, the glut of goals they were second best in that game as well it kind of feels to me like basically every game that Derby play at the moment unless it's against one of the poorest sides in the division such as the Fleetwood game and even the Burton game they weren't great like they're, they're second best which is not what you'd expect from a Paul Warren side not what you'd expect from a a team of of this group of players so this was you know, first v second in the pre-season favourites market, um, or second v first, I should say. We had Bolton top of our 124s, and I think right now it's, it would be nigh on impossible not to um, agree with Bolton being the, the more impressive of the two sides. Even if it was two penalties and a very fortunate own goal that, that separated the two on the day. Yeah, but I think we're on the same wavelength. I don't think this is the best game after which to say this, but I'm feeling 
pretty convinced by Bolton, as much as you can be after six games of a season. Um, and obviously, could be a bit of sort of confirmation bias here, given that we had them first in our 1-24s. to uh, But after six games, they've taken the most shots. They've conceded the second fewest. It's a pretty good equation, that. It's a pretty good, uh, it's pretty good ingredients. Um, I do think, if I'm really picking holes in them, that if you completely excel in the low block defending and, and defending your box, you can frustrate them. Um, but I'm not sure there are that many teams in League One who both have that quality and also have the quality to hurt Bolton on the break. So, you know, I see it as a bit like Ipswich last season, although probably to a lesser extent. I think the games where Bolton will be frustrated and drop points or lose games will generally be games in which they will still feel that they've had the upper hand and dominated their opposition. And over 46 games, I think that's a pretty compelling case when the games that you're losing are so rarely because you are second best, um, you know, undeniably second best, then, um, yeah, I think it's a pretty good sign. Uh, how about Leighton Orient nil, Steve Evans and Edge three. Orient won the war last year in the form of the League Two title. Steve Edge uh, certainly winning the early skirmishes in terms of the League One 23-24 season. And, and Steve Evans will be pretty happy with that because him and Richie Wellens, it's fair to say, do, don't mesh very well. Third in the league, Stevenage now. Mm. And I, I keep saying to anyone who listen, don't rule them out for anything this season because there is... Don't look at the team name and think any kind of way. Well, there's there's just a, there's a place for a team to play like this. And again... Hertfordshire. Orient... <laughs> Orient dominated possession in this one, had a lot of the ball, couldn't really get it into too many dangerous areas. Satiria missed a decent chance in 0-0 early on before Charlie McNeil on loan from um, Manchester United. You know, not only is it Pep Guardiola that trusts Steve Evans with the players' footballing development, but Eric Ten Hag now does as well. All the big names. Um, with a free kick, you know, it was it was two set-piece goals getting two nil up with Dan Sweeney, you know, scoring from a corner for the second. And they just do what they do very well. They restrict the opposition from creating anything of note. Um, once they're ahead, they're very hard to break down. And they're just, you know, despite a fair churn of players over the summer, Stephen has just continued doing Stephen's things. And because they go into every game and there's no argument as to whether or not, whether or not they're going to be able to play the, the way that they want to play, there's no competition for, for, for the ball or domination. They, they know that they can set up exactly how they like. Um you know, I've said it before, I'll be interested to know if this, if, it managed, if they'll continue through the season. But right now, I think in terms of being an effective football team, they're one of the best in the league. How about Oxford 1, Port Vale 2? Um, obviously, Oxford are in what the What about the decision Here's, here, Ali? Well, yeah, tell me about it, because I, I'm excited for Vale to have, be, to, be, to have responded so well from 7-0 defeat that they are over to PPG with a minus three goal difference. Um, having played four of their games away from home as well, I think it should be noted. But I also recognise that this result was fairly circumstantial and, and fairly contingent on a flailing elbow, allegedly. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't. I, I don't know, I think Port Vale um, had a couple of decent opportunities. Well, both teams, it was a game of few chances when it was 11 v 11 and both teams had opportunities to take the lead. I wouldn't say, despite probably looking like the better team on the ball. I wouldn't say Oxford were necessarily the better side. Um, I thought Oxford were fairly disappointing. Um, but the game obviously did swing a little bit. Well, I mean, Mark Harris 
allegedly swung an arm that none of the cameras picked up and was sent off and that was a bit of a turning point even though from, from the throw-in after the red card was given Ruben Rodriguez nearly chipped Conor Ripley from about 40 yards which would have changed things um, but the, the Port Vale goals came from a set piece where a lot of Oxford fans felt like it wasn't a foul by Finn Stevens. I think that's biased personally I think it was definitely a foul I would say that I think Nathan Smith who was the, the, the player who likes getting players sent off and was you know the recipient of recipient of Harris's alleged elbow um, looks to me to be grappling Elliot Moore for the for the free kick where it travels a long way before being nodded in uh, Greg Lee equalised um, a decent work down the right hand side from Stan son of Danny Mills um, turned in by Lee only for Lee then to get sent off for a second yellow. Again, some talk that the first yellow wasn't a yellow. I think that's probably fair. It's one of those weird ones where Lee goes in for a tackle and his foot slips. Mm. So it looks quite bad. But then do you give a yellow card if someone just kind of falls over and there's no possibly? Um, but the groundsman. Yeah. and then Slippery turf. And then and then Finn Stevens, who gave away the free kick for the first, gives away the penalty mm. very, very late on. And, and Port Vale win the game 2-1. I, can't, I, I certainly don't begrudge them as a fan the three points. I think there was a bit of a... It was probably a, a tight game. Probably a point would have been a fair result. Um, good shape out of possession, didn't they? Good shape out of possession, but they also press really well. Like yeah. you know, they're, they're not they're not a low block side. Like they're not a team who they don't play particularly high, but they also look to engage um, the back four wherever possible. And they're, they're they're well set up. And in Ripley, they've got a they've got kind of the perfect um, keeper for the way that they play, where uh, you don't get much change in and around the box. So therefore, there's a lot of um, shooting from range and I think Ripley is one of the best shot stoppers in the league even if you know maybe other parts of his game um, in terms of, of ball playing and the rest of it and, and command of the area isn't quite as good so yeah I mean massive credit to Andy Crosby for um, getting them playing the way that they are there was a good interview with him and, and Chappers on Five Live on Saturday uh, before the game where he spoke about just a completely change, changing the way that they recruited over the summer like looking to basically specifically bring in um, younger players in order to give them way more energy out of possession. Maybe that you know tells a lot about letting Jamie Proctor and David Worrell go in the summer. Um, completely changing the way that they look to, to use the load market, You know, going after academy players rather than um, journeymen, I guess, around the area to bring in for a season. And they're reaping the rewards. So all credit to them. For Oxford, it's been a, a very good start to the season with a couple of frustrating results. Uh, bookending some very good ones and you know this is two teams who I think can be can be happy with their work so far felt like a significant result and performance at Portsmouth uh, they beat Posh 3-1 they're 1-0 down mm. pretty early on for the second time in a week second time in a week because they played each other in the Carabao or rather their sort of reserve teams played each other in the Carabao and Posh won on pens uh, obviously Pompey had drawn their previous two league games nil-nil against teams that they would expect to have beaten or at least scored against. So you know how it can get at Fratton Park. I think everyone knows how it can get at Fratton Park. And when you go 1-0 down, Ricky J. Jones, what what would have felt for the Pompey fans like a pretty simple goal, a bit it was a, a goal of high quality in which he just received the ball on the left wing, dipped inside the right back and just curled it into the far corner. It all looked quite simple. And I think that was a... a a very tough moment for Moussinho and his team. So for them to have roared back in that way, for them to have um, sort of focused and just turned it around so comprehensively and won 3-1, really, really impressive, a fantastic response. A Colby Bishop scoring the most Colby Bishop header of all time where Ronnie Edwards was trying to rugby tackle him and rip the shirt off his chest. Um, but instead, Bishop 
had the strength to hold him off and head home. I also enjoy when your celebration is basically complaining to the referee because someone was holding your shirt. Well, you've just scored, mate. Just maybe take the take the goal. Um, but then Kamara scored the second, Poole scored the third. Just a big turnaround. And I think it looks to me like they were playing with a lot of, like, they've got a lot of speed and strength in the team now, particularly in wide areas, which is exciting. I know that Sadie has been very popular uh, so far this season. Um, but quite a lot of other things like finesse and patience and control. You know, the first goal was more about finesse and patience in the build-up um, with Pack in particular, like working it wide a few times and not just pumping across into the box because Colby Bishop's in the middle and he's good in the air, but actually waiting for an, an opportune moment to provide a really good cross, which uh, which Bishop scored from. So a lot to like uh, for Portsmouth there. Posh came flying out of the traps, but then seemed to be you know a bit shell-shocked when Portsmouth actually turned up to play. They are the only unbeaten team in League One. Pompey, three wins and three draws. Blackpool beat Wigan 2-1. Late, late, late winner from Dougal. Another one where it feels like the atmosphere at Bloomfield Road would have been highly different had Dougal not scored the winner uh, after what's been a frustrating few weeks for, for Blackpool, um, certainly from the stands. Uh, but a 2-1 win against Wigan and on balance of play, highly deserved, you have to say. CJ Hamilton, particularly dangerous uh, for Blackpool on the right side. Jordan Rhodes turning in a Hamilton low cross. Brilliant instinctive finish after some great movement. Um, Rhodes playing at this level for the first time since 2011-2012, where he scored 35 goals for Huddersfield, which is quite fun. And it was I was chatting on NTT20 squad um, yesterday about me probably needing to put a bit more respect on Jordan Rhodes' name, because although the last few years he hasn't been particularly quality, he hasn't scored loads of goals, and he hasn't looked great in terms of his all-round game, He'd scored 150 league goals by the time he was 25. Yeah. He did more scoring than almost anyone else does in their career before he was 25. More than you at uni. More, mm, not necessarily more than me at uni, but we'll, we'll check the dates. Um, and, uh, and Blackpool did get a deserved win here. 2-1 uh, in the end after McGuinness had equalised forward. In three consecutive seasons at Blackburn in the championship, he scored 27, 25 and 21 league goals. Fair play. That's after a 35er for Huddersfield, yeah, which well, is... 36, I've got. Charlton 2, Fleetwood 1. was Charlton's first game post Dean Holden sacking and quite a busy transfer deadline. I think they signed four players. Um, they went behind here. I wouldn't say the the uh, body language and intensity of their players suggested that they had a new lease of life after the sacking, um, particularly the goal that Fleetwood scored. Horrendous from a Charlton point of view, just in terms of how uninterested they looked in in defending that. Um, but they did turn it around. Chem Campbell with a great assist to Alfie May, who then scored a penalty to win it um, and screamed in the face of 18-year-old Fleetwood keeper Stephen McMullen. I think might be making his first ever start for Fleetwood, so I'd love to know what he said to May because Alfie's a nice guy. Well, we, we know that Alfie... At least he says listens to this podcast. He may listen to the pod. So when he said that he listens, well, the Dean Holden told us that he listened and he kind of agreed. So Alfie, there is a, a chance that Alfie is listening to this. What did the um, keeper say to you, Alfie? And I was just going to say that when we met Alfie, he was really nice. He was so nice. It, it didn't feel like, you know how people say he's not the type. I would like to say that he's not the type. He's so not that let's kind find of out. Character. Let's find out what he, what he did. Yeah, good for Charlton to get the win. They will look quite different next time we talk about them because they don't have a game this weekend. They've got they will probably have a new manager. Leeburn came off the bench for his first minutes of the season, four deadline day additions. It's gonna be a new look, Charlton, we think, in a couple of weeks' time. But how about 
Fleetwood sacking Scott Brown because it's it's contagious. Charlton sack Holden, then Charlton beat Fleetwood, then Fleetwood sack Brown. Have to worry for whoever Fleetwood are playing next, George. What do you make of Fleetwood's sacking of Scott Brown? I think there's a lot of surprise out there. Yeah, I'm not that surprised. Um, I think there's a perception of Fleetwood Town as being a bit of a, a basket case off the pitch because owner Andy Pilly is currently behind bars. Um, but I haven't seen too much evidence in terms of the actual squad building or otherwise around Fleetwood Town to suggest that's the case. Like We know that the club remained very, very firm around Jack Marriott and you know a striker they brought in in January. You would think if there was an urgent need to raise funds, they would have accepted the multitude of offers that came the way of, of Marriott, who clearly, from what you, know, you read in the local press and things, wanted to leave. Um, and when you look at the squad, you know, this is a squad that last season finished mid-table and, um, you know, with the addition of Stockley and the addition of Marriott, the addition of Mayer and Broom in the summer, I don't think there's any reason at all for this to be a squad that would be challenging for relegation or challenging for relegation. There would be relegation threatened. So I think Scott Brown's underachieving. Like, I, I don't really understand what has been made hard you know maybe there's been an issue getting players in over the last couple of months of the window since the news actually came through but I think in terms of judging a manager by the playing squad that he's got available and compared to pre-season targets that should have been mid-table again I think there are I mean it's never great to see someone lose their job I don't think there was loads last season to suggest that Scott Brown was a great manager or was destined for big things so I'm, I'm not hugely surprised that they've taken the the course of action to try and prevent what looks like is a season unravelling into a nightmare to try and bring in a new manager with new ideas to to get them back up towards the top end of the, well not towards the top end but back um, winning games and, and getting themselves out of the, the mess mm, I think somewhat spooked by five straight league defeats not that many redeeming features of the performances as well uh, pretty poor underlying numbers so on that front it's not a surprise I just always would love to sit down with the key decision makers um, and say when you gave him a nice new contract in early July, about eight to ten weeks ago, if we'd sat down then and I'd said to you, what what do you like about Scott Brown? Why do you think he's a very good manager and, and clearly happy to have him? You know, would it be you respect that his work his work on the training pitch, that he's developing players? happy with the way he's conducting himself in terms of representing Fleetwood as your most visible face, uh, particularly in a difficult period for the club off the field, shall we say, um, and presumably quite pleased with results because uh, last season they came off the back of a, a League One campaign where they picked up 40 points um, and last season they were you know, fairly comfortable, weren't they? They finished 13th with 58, so clear improvement over the course of, of you know year on year. So now I would just like to sit down and say, well, what now? Like, how much of that has changed, and why? Are you are you looking internally as well and trying to work out how a manager that was doing perfectly well last season is now seemingly struggling to have an impact on on your club? Don't think it always comes back to the manager personally. So interested to see where they turn next. Um, Cheltenham nil, Barnsley two. Seems weird to say, probably Cheltenham's best performance of the season, but they still haven't scored a goal. No thanks to Barnsley keeper Liam Roberts here, who was just incredible, basically, in Nets. Cheltenham suddenly found a way of creating chances, basically for the first time this season, and they just happened to come against a, uh, up against a keeper in unbelievable form. And then, of course, as always seems to happen when you're in the position they're in right now, 
their own set piece gets cleared away and suddenly Barnsley have four on one streaking forward finished off by Devante Cole uh, Waters icing the cake at the end two, great finish 2-0 win yeah good finishes from both of those Barnsley's uh, attacking options looking pretty spicy at the moment what about Northampton nil Wickham 1 George set piece Wickham doing set piece things um not often Northampton are beaten at home, not often Northampton are beaten in this way, where Wickham took a very early lead through Richard Keogh, a very scrappy set-piece goal. They're just scoring a lot of goals from set-pieces at the moment. I haven't been back to look through what percentage of goals so far are set-pieces in open play, but I'm pretty confident the majority are the former. Um, so credit to Matt Bloomfield for setting them up to be able to, to create consistent chances that way. Um, Northampton came back into the game and with a dominant force as you'd expect from then on Hoskins missing a couple of decent chances but they were unable to put the ball in the back of the net you know we're used to cobblers uh, often being the Wickham in this game scoring a scoring a goal seeing out the game despite conceding chances but um yeah for Wickham it's been after a difficult start it's been a, a really important run of of wins for them um, where they've now uh, won three and drawn one of their last four games. Uh, again, I think you have to consider that the games have been against Leighton Orient, Burton, Bristol Rovers and, and Northampton. Um, the games get tougher from here. You know, they've got a couple of good home games now, but against Cambridge, you've started the season so well. And Blackpool, who were, as we'll say in a second, much better. Um, but, you know, after two opening day defeats, losing 3-0, um, certainly this run of form has been has been uh, very, very welcome for Chairboys fans and back-to-back wins against Northampton and Bristol Rovers uh, is something you cannot argue with. Ten points from their last four games, Wickham, just what they needed after that start to the season. Uh, Carlisle got their first win of the season. They beat Shrews 2-0 at Brunton Park. Huge sigh of relief to get the first three points of the campaign. I mean, Shrewsbury's performance was highly concerning not for the first time this season they've still managed to crank out three wins this campaign but I've definitely got my eye on them with some concern uh, they didn't offer very much here Dan Udo's trying his best and is looking quite sharp but basically a one-man attack at this stage um, even so despite Carlisle having the better of the game it, it still needed an incredibly fortunate own goal from Tom Bayless to put them ahead uh, set piece that just hit him on the back and went in the near post uh, and Joe Garner uh, scored the second in injury time to make it look comfortable and I suppose it was in a way the better side Carlisle but even so needed that slice of luck um, and uh, Bristol Rovers drew one all with Lincoln which was a fairly tame game to be honest um, set piece goal for Lincoln Adam Jackson set piece goal for Rovers in injury time uh, from Grant Lincoln still unbeaten since uh, losing on opening day five without defeat. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. What about League Two? 
What about it? It's going to be the superstar of next week's Monday pod, no doubt about that, with no championship and with very few League One games, but some pretty significant results from the weekend, including new leaders, George, thanks to MK's defeat, thanks to Gillingham's defeat, Notts County are top of the tree. Yes, they are, a 3-1 win over the again impressive Accrington Stanley who the again impressive Accrington Stanley FC who um, you know played, played a big part in this game um, but for Notts County they do seem to be just a pretty irresistible attacking force especially at home um, first goal came from Dan Crowley who's settled into life incredibly well at Notts County I don't think many people anticipated that he'd be scoring headers but that seems to be the case at the moment Jody Jones putting in a very good ball for him to head home um, we saw as tipped up on the betting show, Josh Andrews equalising for Accrington after 25 minutes. Uh, but then it was what we saw a lot last season. We haven't seen a great deal of this campaign. A couple of just really sharp finishes from McCauley Langstaff to win the game for, for Notts County. Um, understandably made a, a slowish start to his EFL career with, with Notts County. But you know, this is, I guess, the, the kind of goals we were expecting to see from him. Um, Notts County showing... I think Luke Williams is basically just showing that he is a very, very good tactician. You know, they've made the step up into League Two. They're still dominating possession. They're still creating loads of chances. Um, you know, even though I, I don't anticipate they're going to necessarily keep a lot of clean sheets at home, the blueprint for their success is attacking play, possession play, getting Langstaff into positions to to score goals, getting the ball wide to the quality they've got in those wide areas, especially with Jones uh, on the left hand side. So. Yeah, new table toppers, their favourites to win the league now. Um, to my mind, they definitely look like one of the best two or three teams to win it. And they, they go to MK on Saturday, which I think will be a really interesting game uh, for both sides in order to, to kind of measure where they are right now. Jody Jones has played has started all six games this season. It's the most league games he's started in a row since November 2017 when his injury hell um, sort of really started. He's got some great assists already this season he's got a goal as well it's fantastic to see um Wrexham beating Tranmere 1-0 now those who listen to the betting show those who listen to the six fix will know this already but basically by the end of last week I'd fully become a Wrexham believer um I think that they are in the main operating at an incredibly high level and I think that some of their um, you know some of their dropped points this season, and the, the particularly alarming number of goals that they've conceded has happened in a way that makes me think it's just basically an aberration or, or a couple of one-offs, a couple of two-offs. <laughs> I don't think this Wrexham team is a team that is going to concede a lot of goals this season. Um, once we get to 46 games in, but going forward, they do look incredibly effective. Um, they're unbeaten in their last five games now. They've won three and drawn two. No team has had more shots on target or scored more goals in the top four tiers of English football so far in 23-24. In, in so uh, in this game, for someone who'd backed them as their nap on the betting show, it was quite uh, stressful. Away at Tranmere, they were absolutely all over them. Um, they didn't score until around the hour mark, Aaron Hayden scoring from a set piece. At that point... They'd had 19 shots to Tranmere's five. Every single one of their outfield players, apart from O'Connor, had had a shot in the game. Uh, O'Connor getting the assist for the goal. And they were just battering Tranmere. There was a huge golfing class between the two teams. And the scoreline doesn't reflect how dominant Wrexham were, particularly considering they were going away from home in front of a kind of quite a big and expectant Tranmere home 
crowd. I'm pretty worried about Tranmere. Uh, I, I don't see that many uh, positives to their season so far, apart from Josh Hawks, basically. I think he's playing well and, and looking dangerous. But uh, if he were to get injured, I would be very concerned that their attack basically hinges on him to a pretty good extent. Um, they've got a, a guy playing Dan Pike, 21-year-old fullback, started this game. He's on a one-month contract they signed him on. Like, I don't really understand how they went about building this squad, what they were prioritizing when they were building the squad. And I'm I'm pretty concerned about their general performance levels. Their only win so far this season was against Harrogate, which is a win that gets less and less impressive. They've lost every other game in League Two this season. One of the most eye-catching performances of the weekend was Crew Alex, George, who went 1-0 yes. down to MK, who hasn't this season, mm. um, but came roaring back in the second half to win 3-1. Yeah, really impressive for them to, you know, against top of the league to go down um, to a deflected goal as well from Jonathan Lecco, like a, a pretty scrappy goal from him. Um, but you probably anticipate that at that stage, MK, given where they are um, in the league, would, would come forward and win the game. Uh, and Crew didn't offer a great deal going forward in the first half, but the second half was a completely different story with Connor Thomas and Courtney Baker Richardson getting the first two, sorry, getting the, the two goals to put them ahead with about 20 minutes or so to go. And I think the most impressive thing for me was the way that Crew saw that out. You know, you'd anticipate then that maybe MK would come back into it with the attacking options that they've got but it was crew who continued to turn the screw and got the the third goal to to win the game 3-1 um you know impressive for them with, with mk start calling them second half fc i feel like every game this season they've been <laughs> behind and then come roaring back you definitely can you can say whatever you want about them that's the beauty of this um yeah you know, I, I don't know with, with mk it's a bit puzzling i think you know it sounds weird to say it after they were were um, top of the league uh, coming into this game but another side where I'm laughing as my note says MK a hard team to work out at the moment yeah I don't really I, I you know I personally wouldn't be um, willing to back them to, to maintain the points tally that they're getting at the moment um, they've got a really tough run of games now off the back of this where they, they host Notts County and Stockport two of the better teams in the league despite Stockport's poor start in terms of their points tally um yeah, I don't know. I mean, there was that crazy game on opening day against Wrexham where they won 5-3. Crazy game where they beat Colchester 3-2. Edge pass, Tranmere 1-0. Like, you know, they, I think they kind of need to find a way just to see our games more comfortably. That They do not look like a solid defensive unit. And um, as we saw here against Crew, like apart from a, a deflected Lecco effort, they didn't offer a great deal going forward. And if that's going to happen at times, then they're going to drop a lot of points. Yeah, they've scored first in five of their six league games. And the timing of those goals has been 8th minute, 16th minute, 8th minute, 7th minute, 6th minute. So in five of their six games, they've been ahead after a quarter of an hour to all intents and purposes. And that makes a big, you know, that plays a big role in how those games play out. It probably plays a, a role in why their underlying numbers look particularly poor. Um, having said that, like, they've been poor from positions of strength um, and that's not a great sign and you have to you know the one game where they didn't score early was against Crawley uh, they conceded first that's the only game they've conceded first and they lost that game so you, you have to wonder and maybe worry what will happen when games are nil-nil for longer which they inevitably will be because it's just a bit of a quirk that they're scoring so early that, that they're generally scoring like with their first shot or their second shot and that doesn't happen consistently for a long period of time. So something to work on. Uh, impressive tactical tweak from Lee Bell here. Uh, Smokey Tim Robinson letting us know on NTT20 squad that after about half an hour, uh, went to a back four from a back three. 
Tracy came on at halftime was obviously crucial to their their sort of turnaround, their attacking threat in the second half. But it was um, the role of and the versatility of Rio Adebisi, I think, that really helped unlock things. He he went to right back um, when the switch to the four happened, and he was kind of coming inside and, and joining the midfield, inverting, which works quite well as he's left footed, uh, and gave Tracy the space to go one v one with the uh, with the MK fullback, which worked very very well. And Morgan beat Salford one nil. Really tasty melon. Really tasty melon. Who are you going to sing a song? Mayer's skill down the left, hard and fast ball across, low. Melon's just got across his man and somehow flicked it with the outside of his right foot. It's coming from the left, so it's difficult to do. Straight into the top corner. Absolutely brilliant finish. Um, a player that's playing really well for Morecambe at the moment. Son of Mickey Mellon, of course, but uh, goes by Michael. Didn't want to take the Mickey from his dad. Um, and um, Morecambe, you know, deserved winners. There's absolutely no doubt about that. They, they are Jekyll and Hyde at home and away from home, where away from home they look terrible and at home they look absolutely brilliant. Um, but Salford is, is still a, a big topic, I think, George, where Matty Lund's foul... Uh, to get sent off the reaction I think sums up the frustration they're feeling and you can understand why because they probably thought they were going to be quite good this season we thought they were going to be quite good this season they are so 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 not good like completely out of ideas in possession which is where they looked quite sexy at the end of last season and poor defensively it's a terrible mixture it really is I mean apart from that crazy game against Tramier where they seem to work out um, how to utilise Callum Hendry to a good extent their attacking play is now basically either Conor McElhaney shooting from 30 yards or just crosses just being relentlessly delivered into Matt Smith in the box for him to try and head home. Uh, I think it's fairly easy to defend against. Like this is, given that um, Salford have very good individuals in their squads, um, this is a test of Neil Wood now because there's just absolutely no way, no way they should be as bad as they are currently. And he has to fix these problems. I think he's probably quite fortunate that um, Alex Cairns had the game of his life against Leeds in the Cup last week because that certainly buys him some credit and some time with the owners. But right now, Salford are, are much, much closer to being a relegation candidate than they are a playoff candidate. Like they are playing really poorly in, in basically every game. Um, not conceding loads of chances, but just not creating anything really of note so um, yeah I'm really concerned for them and uh, Grimsby beat Gillingham 2-0 felt very Grimsby in that they scored from a brilliant set piece header from Niall Maher and from a, a high turnover and they are a team who are good at set pieces and very good at pressing uh, certainly did a job on Jills who uh, yeah quite a bleak performance from a Gillingham team that had famously won four games by a goal to nil and have since lost two games without scoring yeah, I think the answer with Gillingham probably lies somewhere between the two. You know, we were sitting in Scotland two weeks ago and I was saying that, you know, Gillingham aren't going to win every game 1-0. They are going to concede goals. I don't think they're as good as uh, the, the points tally suggests and they've lost back-to-back games uh, to an aggregate score of, of 5-0. I think Gillingham aren't as bad as losing two games 5-0. They were not good here. It was a really poor display at Grimsby where they were unable to get any kind of foothold in the game from an attacking standpoint after going 2-0 down. It's going to happen. Away games are difficult. They've come up against a decent side in Grimsby who um, you know, themselves, I think this is one of their better performances of the season. Um, so I think with Gillingham, it's a case of not kind of thinking the wheels have fallen off because the early results were so good. Gillingham are 
will, will be okay. They will be fine. Again, they didn't concede loads of chances here. They're going to keep a lot of clean sheets. Their defensive shape will be very good under Neil Harris. Um, but it does, I guess, for their fans feel incredibly deflating because of the way they started the season. Harrogate still haven't scored a goal in open play. Uh, they lost 1-0 at home to Barrow. In fact, not only are they, are they did they not score a goal from a set-piece situation, they missed a penalty, uh, which would have been an equalising goal. And we were watching the highlights together this morning. We, we both really celebrated Paul Farman's save uh, <laughs> from Harrogate's penalty. And it was through, you know, through no particular reason other than he stood still, the shooter went down the middle and Farman stood still and saved it. And it is a fascinating discussion about what you should do as a goalkeeper in penalties, isn't it? Because increasingly penalties are going down the middle. But I don't think the amount of goalies standing up straight and, and guessing, you know, they say guess away. Well, away is staying down the middle, but keepers don't do that. And it's not, it's not an objective thing. It's because it looks stupid if it goes in the corner and you haven't moved. So to actually stand up and save it, a great sort of, which uh, is great to see. Well done, Paul Farman. I think if there's a, um, you can often find those graphs online that kind of show where, where if, not a graph, but like a picture of a goal and it says like, if you put the ball here, you've got this percent chance of scoring or whatever. Mm. And there's always, not low where Farmer made the save, but higher central, there's always like a, basically if you hit the ball high and straight, it's like a 98% chance of scoring. And that's just because keepers always dive. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's wild if you think how many penalties we see scored down the middle and how few we see saved like Farman's. Just stand up, lads. Just stand there. A lot of people would have led this arrogant barrier discussion with Key and Spence's screamer, but Great not goal. us. Not us, no. We do things differently here. Um, Spence... He kicked it hard into the goal, did he? <laughs> yes. Yeah, well, he's done that a few times now. Uh, opening day, screamer on the volley, the Paul Scholes goal. A really nice assist for their equaliser against Wrexham last week. And, uh, and now this, uh, Kean Spence has been highly eye-catching signing for Barrow from, from Halifax um, and a good start to the season for them. Three wins, two draws, one defeat. Feels quite similar to last season where they, they started pretty well and it's low margin stuff. It's Barrow being very well drilled, hard to beat, hard to score against and they're just about scoring enough at the moment but I don't think overall their attacking players is particularly amazing. That needs to improve. And maybe the signing of Dom Telford, who sort of started in a front three with Aqua and Proctor, quite like the look of that on paper, um, could be something that helps them score a little more freely. Sutton nil, Forest Green one. George, lovely goal on the hour mark from Harvey Bunker. Really nice play from Matty Taylor uh, and McAllister before he, he swept home. And they'd been the better side, Forest Green. Uh, they'd certainly looked the more likely at nil-nil, which I think begs the question that I'd like to ask uh, should I be excited about Forest Green's last couple of weeks or should I be very worried about Sutton who've lost every game since their 5-1 opening day win against Knots, 10 men Knots? I think you can do both, mate, if I'm honest. Okay. Um, I think for Forest Green, the turnaround in fortune and form has certainly been very welcome. Um, I think whenever you have a rookie manager coming in um, yeah, and you lose back-to-back home games, you're going to be a bit concerned. But a good point at AFC Wimbledon, followed by a, a big win against Sutton, enjoying a kind of southwest London Surrey um, circle uh, over the last week or week or so. Um, and again, keeping a clean sheet, which is their first since they went to Harrogate on, on, on the second game of the season is important. Bunker getting a goal, good. Deeney starting here. Um, but, you know, the more he plays, the more minutes he gets into into him is, is important. Um, but yeah, I mean, Sutton, that's now, what is it? five defeats on the trot 
Um, they've scored three goals in those games. They've conceded a lot. Trips to two teams who started the season very well and Swindon and Accrington next. You know, we we say it with Harrogate and it's the same as Sutton. Like, it's easy to get complacent over how good a job Matt Gray has done in order to for Sutton to be this poor, to be um, noteworthy. But they are very, very poor. And... Um, yeah, it's it's hard to kind of see a way out right now because week on week they are just second best in all of their games. And Walsall beat Colu one nil thanks to an Isaac Hutchinson howitzer. Um, Great strike, similar to Spencer, really, just pure power and precision into the top corner, uh, and a deserved win. They, they restricted Colu to very very little over the course of the game, and yet they still relied on an incredible save from Evans in goal. Uh, I think it was from Connor Hall from a set-piece situation, um, somehow scooping the ball out when it looked destined for the net. Uh, so Walsall get a win. It's it's two wins and one draw at home this season. And Matt Vale, who's Walsall fan on the NTT20 squad, is happy with what he's seen. Said every single game so far, home and away, we've had flashes that we're heading in the right direction. Saddlers, Saddlers going fairly well. Uh, and then three draws to finish us off. Four draws to finish us off. Stockport three, Crawley three was pretty crazy as it looks Stockport looking fairly comfortable after Louis Barry scored a fantastic goal Sarsovic scored a lovely little dink over the goalkeeper but Stockport's defence still bad still disorganised and confusingly so after they finished last season with an absolutely unbelievable defensive record uh, and Crawley enjoyed it with with three goals to put themselves ahead. Orsi banishing the demons from last week's miss against Swindon to, to put them 3-2 up but then a ball over the top from new uh, Swansea Loney, Joel Cotterell. Nice ball over the top for Olafe to score past a die. meant it was 3-3. Max uh, commented on the sub stack over the weekend. Stockport fans saying there's a strange unease at Edgeley Park, even at 2-0. Indicative of the feeling over the last couple of weeks. And you can kind of understand why, because it has been underwhelming so far. Newport 2, Wimbledon 2. Ka-ching! That's the till. James Tilly. Two goals for Tilly, 2-0 Wimbledon, and then some quite funny Newport goals, probably not for Johnny Jackson, um, equalising with just a sort of comedy of errors at the back, really. 2-2, uh, another goal for Will Evans, and then 2-0-0. Swindon, Doncaster uh, was 0-0, and Mansfield, Bradford was a match that happened. Surprised and disappointed to be saying that. Had high hopes for Mansfield, Bradford. And next week's going to be a League One and Two special. There aren't that many games in League One. Um, a decent slate in League Two. Uh, we will be zooming in even closer to those two divisions with the Championship having a week off for international break. Thanks for listening to this pod. Hope you've enjoyed it. If you have, why not give us a rating on Spotify? You can just click five stars. It takes like three seconds. Gives us a big boost, that's for sure. We should say, um, we should say that at the top of the show, really, shouldn't we? When people are still listening. Thanks to Betfair for sponsoring the pod. Uh, it's time for lunch. Go out. <laughs>